Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Rally Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. Another week, another preview on a, another division in the NFL. So this week, I'm going to talk about the AFC West, which to me is, is probably one of the toughest divisions and one of the most exciting divisions. A division where every team has a great opportunity to uh, make the playoffs. This is the one division that not one team has a below average quarterback. But the question of the day is, will the Chiefs repeat? The Chiefs have dominated this division since Patrick Mahomes has entered the NFL and back uh, with Alex Smith. But lo and behold, can this team repeat or will the trade of Tariq Hill to the Dolphins make the, the Kansas City Chiefs vulnerable and possibly lose the, and possibly be dethroned to one of the teams that's in the AFC West. So this this preview is hard because you look at every team in the AFC West and every team pro- improves significantly. You know, if it was just Russell Wilson going to Denver and that's it, you would have said that the Denver Broncos were the most improved team. If it was just Devontae Adams going to Oakland, you would have said that that's the uh, the biggest move in the offseason in the AFC West. If it was Khalil Mack going to the Chargers, you would have said that was the big biggest move in the AFC West. But every team made moves. Some teams made more, more moves than others, while others made big moves but also lack other moves in, in terms of making themselves better than the teams in their division. Or even making them a lock in terms of being a Super Bowl contender. So I was analyzing the teams and who I think is going to be in the fourth place. And this is going to be hard because they're probably going to be the best fourth place team in the NFL. But they also lack something versus the other teams in this division. And the team that I'm talking about that's going to most likely end up being the fourth place team in the AFC West is the Denver Broncos. It's crazy. The idea that they got Russell Wilson is the first um, is the first big-time quarterback they've had since Payne Manning. You know, the defense looks good. The, res- the, the receiving court is just below average, in my, in my opinion, versus the teams in the division. They, they don't, they're not better than anyone in the division. They probably have one of the worst receiving cores in terms of any team that is going to compete for a playoff spot, in my opinion. But the defense looks strong. Russell Wilson will work his magic. This team has a great opportunity and a lock to be a, a 500 team. But the question is, can they overcome the odds of what these other teams have? in Not just in the division, but in the NFL. But we'll see. So the third place team I, I, I see, and only because maybe it's the, the coach, and we don't know what this coach um has in store because he hasn't been a head coach since Tim Tebow was in the NFL and since he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos, the team I just talked about. But Josh McDaniels, hopefully I said his name right, is now the new head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, the new This new head coach, after having the whole turmoil of John Gruden, they were able to make the playoffs. You know, they hired uh, McDaniels to be the new head coach. And they made significant improvements. There's no way that this team is uh, not winning at least 10 wins 
this upcoming season. The idea that Chandler Jones and Crosby, Max Crosby, are a, are a duo, pass-rushing duo, makes this team exciting. The idea that you can have two guys who have a great opportunity to have 10 sacks or more just makes this team very interesting, especially being in a NFL where passing the ball is has dominated the league. So you need a good pass pass rushing in order to compete in this league. And it's always something that sometimes gets neglected with certain teams, and that's why probably why they lose. But Chandler and Crosby look like a great duo. But the prize in the box, ladies and gentlemen, is Devontae Adams. The idea that they got one of the best receivers in this offseason and adding him with Waller and adding him with Hunter gives the Raiders probably one of the best receiving cores in the NFL right now to have not just one, but to possibly have three guys who are good enough to get a thousand yards or more. I mean, it's crazy. There's a lot of teams that don't have that. I mean, the Denver Broncos, I don't even think they have two. But the idea that they have three, this makes this team more interesting, in my opinion. The idea that not one of these guys can get double teamed, because if you do, you leave another person open. So it's a great opportunity. Someone in this core is going to have a breakout season. Someone in this core is going to be great. But the X factor in this offense that has to be better is the rushing. If uh, Jacobs can come in this year and rebound and be better than what he was last year, because last year he was mediocre. He wasn't the guy that we saw on his rookie season. We saw a guy who looked like more, more or less that, he, that the NFL has um, figured out and has made him look more mediocre than a Pro Bowl kind of player that he looked his first season. But if the rushing tack, if the rushing game can improve to go with the passing game, and the dynamic duo of Crosby and Jones, the Raiders are going to shock some teams. But until we see McDaniels be a successful coach, I think he holds down um, people from seeing the full potential in the Raiders this upcoming season. So right as of right now, until the season starts, until I see otherwise, I have the Raiders as the third-place team in the AFC West. Now for the second and first team. And this was hard. You know, you have to look at defense. You got to look at offense, defense, offense, defense, offense between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Who improved? Who didn't improve? What are they lacking? Did something make them more vulnerable? Did something make them... Is there injury out there that hurts one of these teams? And the more I looked at these teams, the more I felt... That losing Tyreek Hill is going to hurt the Chiefs. Enough where I have them finishing second place. I believe they're going to be dethroned as the best team in the AFC West. They may even not make the AFC Conference in my opinion. The idea that you had two home run hitters in Tyreek Hill and, and Khalees, tight end, in your receiving core that made others better. And then you take one down. You basically didn't replace him with anyone in his level. Not even below his level. Not even like elite or above average. You have a whole bunch of average receivers with Khalees, which still makes the receiving core okay, but not elite like it was the last few seasons when Tyreek Hill was a part of the receiving core. So I have the Chiefs as the second place team in the AFC West. You know, I just feel 
that the idea, the way the Chargers have improved this upcoming season will, will make them dethrone the Chiefs. I feel that even though the receiving core looks worse and even though I see that the Raiders have a better receiving core than the Chiefs and I like the defense, because of Andy Reid and his wisdom and his experience, I feel that the Chiefs have a great chance of locking in the second place, especially that they have the best offensive line in this division. They have the best offensive line that can go up against a Crosby and Jones and Mack and Boza. I really do believe that, and that's what's going to keep this team in this division and maybe even go deep into the playoffs because you need a good offensive line to go go oh, go go oh my god to go up against any great pass rush duel but Chiefs will ultimately be a second place team for the first time in the past 3 3 years on past I think it's the past 6 years but lo and behold ladies and gentlemen the Chargers will unseat the Chiefs and for the first time win this division in more than 6 seasons i just like the idea that the maximize what they can get in the draft and what they can get in this cap space that they had this this previous offseason. Drafting guys like Zion Johnson to improve their offensive line was great. You know, Gerald Everett is not an eye-popping move, but they really didn't need him to be an eye-popping move. They need him to be a great fourth option, which he will be. He's not coming in to, to dominate the game like Waller and Khalees. He has to come in and just be... Just receive at least 500, 500 yards to 600 yards, which is still pretty good, but not Khalees and not Waller's level. But that's not what they want from them, especially that Eckler and Allen and Williams are such a great trio. Adding Everett gives the Chargers four options, and this makes this receiving core so much better and so much more scary. But one of the main reasons why I feel that the Chargers are going to win this division is what they did on defense. The idea is that they got Khalil Mack to to um to line up opposite of Boza. It's just scary. The idea that you have two guys who could average who could have ten sacks or more together makes this team crazy. But they didn't stop there. They got JC Jackson to help a secondary that had Darwin James to sign an extension and, and Samuel uh, on in this defense. And this made this defense secondary look amazing, made the pass rush look amazing with the addition of Mac. And I just think this team is, is scary. We'll see what um, happens. But the idea that the defense got stronger, the idea that the offense got stronger, just makes me think that the Chargers will win this division and the AFC West, for the first time in six seasons, will have its first, I mean, will have a new AFC West champions in the Chargers. So again, let's recap. Chargers in first, Chiefs in second, Raiders in third, Broncos in fourth. Like I said before, I wouldn't be shocked all four teams make the playoffs. AFC West have two teams that have not just a great, have two great teams that could definitely win the division. But most importantly, Two great teams that I definitely have as a great opportunity to make it to the AFC Conference and even make the Super Bowl. Maybe it's just me, but that's what I feel. So, 
couple weeks ago, Devon, uh, Donovan Mitchell trade talks were starting. Things fizzled. The, the Jazz went their own ways, kind of explored the market. But recently, the Jazz and Knicks have started talking again and have have um, been re-engaging. It seems like, ladies and gentlemen, that it could happen. The Jazz is being stubborn. You know, the Knicks are offering at least five draft picks. They're still talking. Things could get done. The reality is Mitchell loves New York. He loves the New York Mets. Why would you keep a guy on a team after more than two months of it being a rumor that you've been looking to trade him? Sooner or later, the, the Jazz just have to say, you know what? We got good draft picks from the Rudy Gobert trade. And then getting the picks that we would get from the Knicks, we got good draft picks also. But we'll see what happens. Right now, they don't want f f uh, the five draft picks that are being offered. They don't want Topping or Evan Fournier and the extra money that the Knicks are currently offering them. But ladies and gentlemen, I just want this trade to be done. It's so crazy that the Knicks already look like an unapproved team. But how Dev Devontae Mitchell comes in and kind of elevates them from just being a playing team, because that's what they probably would have been without a Devontae Mitchell trade. But adding Devontae Mitchell can do wonders. If the chemistry's there, and if R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle finds who he is, like he was an all-star uh, a couple seasons ago, and Jalen Bronson, the additions of all these guys in a great bench, I just feel, and great coaching, could be a top-six seat team in the AFC, con I mean, the AFC Conference. Excuse me. In the Eastern Conference in the NBA. I just feel like it's a definite possibility. We'll see in the next couple of weeks if the Jazz lower their demand in terms of the players they want in return. But as of right now, ladies and gentlemen, the Jazz and the Knicks are still talking. So now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get back into the whole Kevin Durant issue, issue in terms of what um, has been attached to him for almost two months now. You know, last week it was talked about how he was going to retire. An executive came out and says if Kevin Durant went back into back to the Nets this upcoming season, he will retire. And then Kevin Durant came back on Twitter and says, no, I'm not going to retire. And that, 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 that was a comical response. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, and then upcoming week, this week, ladies and gentlemen, he had a meeting with people in the Brooklyn Nets. And says he wants to come back. And it's it's almost comical in some ways. You know. It's almost comical because. Kevin Durant wants to come back. Because no one is beating the down. And offering the Nets what they want. No one wants Kevin Durant. At the axing price of a superstar. Let's be realistic. No one's willing to give up the players. The draft picks. And more. The Lakers. And, and the reality. That's the reality. That's the truth is. There's no team that's matching up with the Nets in terms of making a trade for Kevin Durant. And, because, and the reality is, because of that, Durant is willing to stay. And, have, and he has to ball out if that's what he is really in his, um, if that's really what he wants. If he really wants to leave the Nets, he has to ball out. He has to stay healthy. If he's healthy, there's going to be a team out there that will offer the players, that will offer the draft picks and everything that the Nets want in order to execute a trade for Kevin Durant. So I think Durant's coming back because of that. It's not because of whatever happened in the meeting. It's not because of, of anything else.
but that. That's my opinion. That's what I feel. Just like Kevin Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving retracted leaving and possibly even going to the Lakers, not because he wants he really wants to go back to the to, um to the Nets. He wants to go back to the Nets because the reality is out of two hundred and thirty six games in the past three seasons, Kyrie Irving has played less than a hundred games. So the reality is the idea that he's not even played seventy percent of the games in the past three seasons combined makes him a player that eh, you want him, but you're also scared what you're going to get because you don't want to pay a guy thirty plus million dollars and he plays less than fifty percent of the games yet again. Just saying. So I think the Lakers. I mean, I think that Kyrie Irving and Durant are coming back to the Nets to ball out, to show that they could play 60-plus games, to show that they can make the Nets a top-three team in the Eastern Conference and one of the best teams in the NBA. Because let's be realistic, in the last three years, they have not done that. They haven't led them to one NBA, uh, one Eastern Conference Finals. They haven't led them to one NBA championship. This was supposed to be a duel that was going to do wonderful and great things. In the end, it has done nothing to the level that everyone has expected to be. And they have no choice but to team up again in the fourth season together and show people what they wanted to show them the first season. So we'll see what happens. We'll see... If Mr. Durant could stay healthy and play more than 60 games. We'll see if Kyrie, uh, if Kyrie Irving could appear in more than 60 games. We'll see if that can happen. Because if it doesn't happen, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Durant's not going anywhere. Ky uh, people are going to be wary of what they can offer Kyrie Irving. And lo and behold, the controversy between the, on those players or the dark cloud that surrounds them is going to widen even more because they weren't healthy. They missed another Eastern Conference final. They didn't make another NBA championship. And now they're going to have this whole Sean Marks and Steve Nash dark cloud over them too. So, ladies and gentlemen, less than 40 games into the season. Less than 40 games into this Major League Baseball season. The New York Yankees have not looked like the New York Yankees. The Brewers have looked worse. I mean, um... The reality is that the Yankees still have more of a cushion on them in terms of having a great opportunity to make the playoffs, to have a three-game win streak by beating the Yankees, I mean, by beating the Mets and beating the Blue Jays. But the Brewers, ladies and gentlemen, after leading this division for majority of the season, has not looked great. So the reality is what's going to happen. I, as of right now, I think the Yankees probably will win, win the, the division in the American League, but they could be vulnerable if they don't get certain guys back. You know, pitching can get even better within the next month, and getting possibly even getting stand back could do wonders for this division. But they just lost two guys, two bullpen pieces. The Their rotation is weak because Luis Serviano is not there. And lo and behold, they have been trending down Versus then trending up. So we'll see what happens with the Yankees. With the Brewers. We'll see what happens. I have less faith in the Brewers than I have the Yankees. I have I have more faith in... Actually, no. Let me say that right. I have more faith that the Yankees will make the playoffs. And win the division. Versus the Brewers. Possibly winning the division. And even making the playoffs. I see the Braves, Padres, 
and the Phillies being a better team than the Brewers in terms of the wild card spots that are available. The three wild cards that are available. But leading to the Padres, ladies and gentlemen. So this past trade deadline, the Padres said, we're all in. So they traded majority of the, it felt like they traded majority of the top 20 prospects um, for guys like Josh Hader, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Brandon Brandon Dory. They thought that, okay, we're going to get these guys and our offense is going to improve. And then they thought at the same time when they were making all these trades that Fernando Tatis Jr. was going to come back. Instead, last week, Fernando Tatis Jr. got suspended for 80 games for doing a ban, for taking a banned substance that he claimed that he took because he had ringworm. Prior to this uh, suspension, ladies and gentlemen, he was out due to an injury. When he got asked about the injury, he said, which one in terms of the bike injury, which means he's been injured multiple times due to a bike injury, ladies and gentlemen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this player, Fernando Tatis Jr., looks like one of those arrogant guys who is either going to hurt his career and will never develop into what people thought he was going to be because of his arrogance, because of his lack of effort. You know, right now he has youth on his size, but when he gets to his late 20s and early 30s, and no, and he's not a guy who's an all-star anymore, not a guy in the MVP race anymore, now what happens? And then he doesn't make those all-star games, he's not an MVP, and he's potentially not making the all-star, um, not beco- looking like a future Hall of Famer. This guy looks arrogant. You know, let's be realistic. If Doc Gooden didn't do drugs and have the issues that he had, he could have been in Hall of Famer right now. The idea that 19 years old, he came into the the national, I mean, he came into baseball looking like one of the best pitchers ever. Then to quickly not look like it by by the early to mid 90s. And the reality is, he has the what-if factor over him. What if he didn't do drugs? What if he worked out, did everything the trainers did, and stayed focused? Would he have over 200 wins? Would he be a guy with the top 10 strikeouts? Would he have been to the playoffs more, uh, more often? Would he have won another, uh, um, another baseball World Series championship? But things are getting crazy in Baltimore. L- look at this. So Dennis Lynn said after the suspension of Fernando Tatis, certain uh, players on the Padres uh, shared their thoughts on this whole thing. So one of the things that came out was pitcher Mike Clevenger said, it is the second time we have been disappointed with him. And you hope he goes up and learns from this and learns that it's about, mo- is about more than just him right now. This is what his teammate says. To continue, another teammate, another pitcher says, Joe Musgrove said he's a young kid. He's going to learn his lessons or whatnot. But ultimately, I think you got to start showing a little bit of more of remorse. And you got to start showing us that you have committed to it and you want, you want to be here. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, that's crazy. The idea that your teammates are coming forward and saying these things takes things to another level, in my opinion. It makes things crazy 
for the Padres. I mean, right now, after suspension, he's going to get shoulder, shoulder uh, surgery. When did when in the world did he get hurt during his rehab? And why does he need a shoulder uh, shoulder surgery? There was no report saying that he injured himself during the rehabs in the minor leagues while he was trying to come back. Now, after the suspension, he needs surgery on his shoulder. I mean, man, this is crazy. What else? What else does Fernando Tatis Jr. have over him that the GM and the Padres are not saying? What are, what other surgery does he have? What other issue that's not being said does he have? Because the rally is right now, ladies and gentlemen. There's too much coming out on this guy that kind of makes you happy he's not on your team. The idea that you have a great talent like him and the only person that's stopping him from playing is the player. He's injured because of himself. He is suspended because of himself. Not because of what he did on the field in baseball. Not because of anything else. You know, there's one thing to get injured while playing. It's another thing to say that you got injured while you're hanging out and having fun. So, I feel bad for the Padre fans. You know, they, they saw these trades that, 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 was, that had been done. And they thought that with these trades that were, were being done and getting Fernando Tatis Jr. back, that they had a great opportunity to make the World Series. But now, they look vulnerable, especially with Josh Hader not looking too particularly good since being traded to the Padres. But ladies and gentlemen, August is coming to an end. September, the nitty-gritty is going to get done. You know, there's multiple teams still in this race. We'll see if I was wrong about the Brewers. We'll see if the Yankees could rebound and end strong. We'll see if the Padres can uh, find who they are and win because they haven't looked too great since they made these trades. But we'll see what happens. Off to the WWE. So last week, I didn't have a podcast. And... The last couple of weeks, things have looked different in WWE. Triple H has made it look more aggressive than it looked like in the past. And last week, he took off something that many wrestlers did not like. And one of the things that Vince McMahon had made these wrestlers look like and, and, and basically attached to them was entertainer part. I'm an entertainer. I'm not a wrestler. I'm an entertainer. You know... They see themselves as athletes, even though you could say whatever you want to say about wrestling. They see themselves as athletes. They see them as those who are competing. And entertainers doesn't feel the same as same wrestlers. So Drew McIntyre went to the ring, followed by Kevin Owens. And Drew McIntyre's response just changed the whole game for the WWE in his promo. He said, let's wrestle. We're wrestlers. This is a wrestling ring. Let's wrestle. I'm paraphrasing this statement, but the idea that he said that, he has changed the game for WWE. That was one thing that the AEW had over WWE because WWE was never calling themselves wrestlers. AEW even joked about it with Chris Jericho calling him an entertainer or whatever it was that he called himself. But the idea that now that this embracing that kind of changes the game. In my opinion. Now things are kind of getting fishy. Ladies and gentlemen. There's controversy and drama in the background. In AEW. CM Punk has some problems with guys like Adam Page. You know. Um, the other guy is Cole Cabana. And it's crazy. Right now some people my friends are saying at my job. 
you know, WWE just did one of the greatest things that you could do as a counter act in defeating a wrestling network, a wrestling promotion or whatever. You know, within the last two years since the pandemic has started, we have seen over 30 wrestlers and directors and people associated with the WWE be fired. And when the company, AEW company started, AEW saw it. Okay, this is our opportunity to jump on that. Those guys being released and sign them to AEW and see if the additions of these wrestlers can make this division, make this division, make this wrestling promotion the same as WWE or even better. But now AEW has signed so many guys that certain guys are just not being seen at all. And that was one of the biggest controversies with WWE prior to AEW, that they had so many different guys in the locker room that weren't being seen on a week-to-week basis that when you did see them, you were kind of shocked that they were still with the, prom- still with the promotion, still, on, still in WWE. We were all shocked. Now, AEW is starting to look like that. Certain guys are angry in the background who are not being seen. So it's crazy. Now, CM Punk now is unhappy. You know, you know what's kind of crazy? And I was thinking about this. And I didn't know this until my friends told me. So Tony Khan did a great thing for the wrestling fans. Wrestling fans for almost eight years, about eight years, wanted CM Punk back. CM Punk wasn't going to Japan. CM Punk was not going to go back to WWE. And CM Punk was not going to go to Impact or Ring of Honor. Or any indie scene. Tony Khan was was able to talk to uh, CM Punk and get him there. But here's the crazy thing. There's a guy in the locker room called Cole Cabana. A guy who at one time was close friends to CM Punk. Then something happened after CM Punk had left WWE. He talked about a doctor who prescribed him antibiotics in Europe and talked about the antibiotics affected him so bad that one time in a wrestling event during SmackDown, he pooped himself. And he talked publicly about it on Cole Cabana's podcast. The doctor who prescribed these antibiotics said, not said, took action. Didn't agree with that and thought that CM Punk was wrong for making those comments. So his action to this response was to sue Coco Banner and the podcast that Coco Banner was doing and CM Punk. Well, in the beginning, CM Punk looked like a loyal fran- a fan and felt, looked like he felt bad for, his, for the comments that he shared on Coco Banner's podcast. And he said that I'm going to pay you legal fees. Then the court case happened and CM Punk was nowhere to be found. He didn't pay one thing. Then he even said, okay, I'll pay half. No, you promise half, you pay half. And it looked like he just let down his fan. Can you imagine that? That you started a controversy on a podcast. It's your fault that this guy's getting sued. You promised to, to pay his legal fees and then you back out of it. And the one thing that Tony Khan could have done was not get CM Punk and show loyalty to Coco Banner and showed... And showed his locker room, you know what, even though we want CM, I want CM Punk, I have loyalty towards my, my locker room. I have loyalty towards my wrestlers. 
but he brought CM Punk to AEW. Shocked the world. I was excited last last year when he came back in Chicago and he gave everyone ice cream and, and all that. I was happy to see him back. But then the Dark Order started to see themselves less on screen within the, within the last year. And Cole Cabana has seen his time and the matches that he was getting as his TV appearances decrease also. So there's also controversy over that and that and people feeling that that's due to CM Punk. You know, and then it led to CM Punk having this amazing promo talking about John Moxley, talking about Adam Page, talking about Eddie Kingston. And then there's rumors out there that there's drama. There's rumors out there saying that uh, that CM Punk is unhappy, which led Booker T and Jonathan Coachman to say, what's new? That they're not shocked that he's unhappy. You know, did Vince McMahon and, and Nick Khan and others in WWE release the wrestlers from their contracts in hopes that AEW would have went crazy in the free-for-all and sign these wrestlers to their promotion and ultimately hurt their promotion. If that's true, that's genius, in my opinion. But now AEW has to find a way to calm the waters if they really want to compete at the same level as WWE. I have said in the past, stop putting Rampage and Dynamite on the same day. You're curting your YouTube dark matches you're hurting Rampage because the reality is people are releasing the, the results on social media. Why would anyone want to watch an AEW damage um, in Rampage if they know the results? It hurts fans' experience if you know the results of the matches or what certain wrestlers are going to do. He has to stop that. Then the other day he compared himself and others compared him, compared him to Paul Heyman. Are you nuts? You're comparing yourself to a guy who has 30 plus years experience in, in, in wrestling. Maybe even 40 years experience in, in wrestling. You're talking about a guy that after about 6 or 7 years that he was with um, WCW became a leader in ECW. In where the next well 8 years or more he did amazing things for AC, uh, ECW where wrestlers were astonished and amazed at what he was capable of doing. And then he did great things once AC, ECW went down with WWE. What he's done with Brock, what he's done with CM Punk, what he's done with others, what he's done, currently doing right now with Roman Reigns. Consistently going out there with that. When he gets the mic, he has one of the best promos of the night. And you're comparing that to Tony Khan? Has Tony Khan ever put up a great promo? Has Tony Khan ever been a manager of, a, of wrestlers? Has Tony Khan ever had experience as a manager prior to owning AEW? No, he didn't. Let's be realistic. Tony Khan is starting AEW from scratch, where ECW was not start from scratch with Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman just came in, had a plethora of knowledge, and his wisdom and what he was capable of doing was amazing, but he had experience. And he didn't start the company from scratch. He took a little company and made it bigger. That if he had the money, I've always said this and believe this, that if he had the money of WCW, 
ECW would have never folded. ECW would still be around right now. And guys like the Dudleys, Taz, Chris Jericho, Dean Malico, Chris Benoit, and others would have never gone to WCW, would have never gone to WWE, and they probably would have stayed longer in ECW. And ECW probably would have been taking talent from WWE and would have been taking more talent from Japan and taking more talent from WCW, which in the end, they will probably be one of the dominating um, organizations or promotions, whatever you want to call it, in the wrestling world. But the truth is, Paul Heyman didn't have the money. Even though he was one of the one of the wisest, one of the, one of the best minds in wrestling, and what's the reality? Tony Khan is not. Tony Khan is a wrestling fan that wants to, to wants to do his own thing, wants to start his own promotion, and he's trying to make effort to make it work. That's what who Tony Khan is. And Tony Khan, probably best thing, best days are not now. It's probably in the next 10 years when the experience rises and he has some falls, he has some ups where he learns from the falls so that in the future, in 10 years, he doesn't recreate some of those situations. And because he doesn't create those, uh, all those situations, AEW is going to rise to new heights because of the experience he gains in the next 10 years. Experience matters, ladies and gentlemen. I really do think that. And you can't compare 30 years' experience Plus, to a guy who has less than five years, cannot. That's like the dumbest thing in the world. And I don't think Tony Khan really wants to be compared to anyone. I think he wants to compare to himself because he's doing something different than Paul Heyman. He's doing something different than what Eric Bischoff did in WCW. Remember, they came, Eric Bischoff and guys like Paul Heyman came into companies that already existed and made them popular. It's a big difference. Tony Khan is doing something from scratch. And is blessed and privileged with the billions he has and what he's able to do so far. But, ladies and gentlemen, that is my episode. Remember, the Truth and Reality podcast will be available for your listening ears every week. If you go to Apple, if you go to Spotify, Overcast, um, Anchor, to any podcast apps that you may like, you will. If you subscribe to my podcast, you will be made available. There will be a little flash notification every week when a new episode will be available. Remember, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram and follow me on, on TikTok to see my little weekly advertisement for the upcoming, uh, upcoming episodes. Again, ladies and gentlemen, have a good day and even better night.